Hello and welcome to another episode of the Found in Translation podcast. My name is Anya and I hope you'll enjoy your stay. Hello everyone. Today I'm joined by Nora Diaz, an English into Spanish translator, a Tredos trainer, She also organizes workshops and seminars and summits, so we'll have a lot of topics to discuss today. So, hi, Nora. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, and thank you for the invitation. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you. And the main reason I invited you to the podcast is to talk about technology, among other things. So when I think about technology, especially when it comes to the translation industry, our industry, I think of you. So can you tell us a bit about yourself and your journey into the field of translation, especially in the context of technology and productivity? Of course. Well, as you have said already, I am a translator, um, English into Spanish. I'm also a conference interpreter. And um, I found very early on in my career that technology could help me do more and do it better. And so I am the kind of person who will read a manual. Like, for example, if I buy a device, I read the manual from beginning to end. Um, I try to figure out what it can do. I don't like the idea of having a tool and not knowing um, everything it can do. And so that's how, even before we had the internet and, and access to many of these technologies, that's how I used to learn about the tools that I got for my work. And um, that curiosity and that interest in making things productive and, and uh, being more efficient has carried on into more current tools. And so um, there are no manuals for many of these things that we have today, but there are people who talk about them. There are, for instance, if I get um, a, a notification that there is a new software release or there has been an update to a piece of software that I use, I will go and read the wow. release notes <laughs> to see what's new, <laughs> right? And so, um, yes, so that's that's basically something that is, um, I, I attribute that to my personality. I'm kind of impatient in a way, and I like to, I don't like to waste time. And so I like to be as efficient as possible. And I find that information helps. So knowing what tools can do um, is very helpful. And um, one other thing that I can tell you about myself uh, that maybe has some connection to this is that I was initially trained as a teacher. I love to teach. And so whenever I find something that works and that I find useful, I feel almost like an urge to share it with other people. <laughs> and so I will write a blog post or I will you know, post on social media, mostly on LinkedIn about work-related things. Um, I will figure out if there is an opportunity to, to share that on a web in a webinar or um, a conference or somewhere. So yeah, that's, that's um, I guess my interest in technology to sum it up comes from a need, always from a need. I need to do this. Is there a tool that will help me do it? And how can it help me do it? Yeah, and what are the best tools or some of the indispensable tools you use on a daily basis, not only for translation purposes, but for recording, for interpreting, and so forth? 
Well, I um, use, of course, a CAD tool. And in this case, my CAD tool of choice is Strato Studio. Um, I use other CAD tools as well if my clients require them. I do a lot of work for LSPs. And so direct clients will let you use, they don't care what you use. So you can use whatever you yeah. like. Um, but um, LSPs, agency clients, will have their own system already and they will ask you to use their tool. That's how I first started using Trado Studio. I had a client many, many years ago who said, well, we'll be using this tool. It wasn't called Trado Studio back then. It was just Trados. Um, there was something that was called the Workbench. And um, by, mm, I mean, I, the, the client will come to you and say, this is the tool that I need you to use. And then you start using that. And, and I, so that's how I, I came to my tool of choice. I really like Trado Studio because I have learned how to use it very well. And it has been a conscious choice. Right, like I have read the manuals, I have tried, <laughs> I have clicked on every button, tried every feature. Not every feature, there's a lot of features in there. Other tools that I use all the time are, for example, I'm, I'm always looking for small utilities that will help me do things efficiently. So, for instance, if I need to do OCR, I will go out and try several OCR tools until I find the one that I feel comfortable with, and then I will stick to that one. I'm not um, even though there, there are many tools out there, it comes to the point where, or it gets to the point where you may be wasting time or taking too long to do something if you are using too many tools. So I like to pick a tool and stick to it. I use, uh, of course, for as many of us do, the Microsoft suite uh, of products or Microsoft Office 365 these days for many things like uh, presentations and writing documents. But lately, I find myself more and more using the Google suite of products, you know, like Google Docs and um, Google Sheets, yeah. mostly because of the collaborative features. Because I do a lot of collaborative work with some colleagues, um, especially for training, and it's just easier to collaborate with the cloud-based tools. Um, I use for recording, for example, I use um, a little tool that is not very well known, but it's absolutely amazing. And it's called um, Ice Cream Screen Recorder. Ice Cream Screen Recorder, I think, <laughs> is the full name. That's a great <clears> name. <throat> it is. The whole ecosystem of apps that they have is, is called um, Ice Cream Apps. And um, even though I have used and I still use other tools um, for video editing and for screen recording, and of course I do recording on Zoom and things like that, I find myself always going back to the Ice Cream screen recording app because it's, um, it's really easy to use, very intuitive, very user-friendly, and it gives you all the features that you need. Um, what else do I use? Well, I use a variety of things. Of course, I use AI these days. Um, mostly, this is a question I get asked a lot, especially when I'm training about AI. Which one do you prefer? And I have to say, it's mostly ChatGPT. I don't know if it's just out of um, habit because it's the first one that we had and it's the one that I'm um, using all the time. But um, yeah, that's, that's the one I use most of the time. Um, there's, there's one thing about technology that has surprised me in, in, or 
that I have surprised myself about in recent years because I, if you had asked me several years ago, um, would you do any business via WhatsApp, for example? I would have said, no, no, no. WhatsApp is for personal contacts. And, and I find myself doing more and more business over WhatsApp. Yeah. <laughs> Clients reach out, they send me a WhatsApp message, and it's just convenient. So I think having that flexibility is also important. Yeah, so I'm sure this love of technology has also reflected in your personal life as well. So do you have any apps you use that you discovered maybe through work that you use on a daily basis, for example, for productivity or time management or something similar? Um, well, I use for for, you know, just for regular um, organization of my daily life, I use a calendar just the way I use it for work. And um, I like the Tasks app. I like the, the Google ecosystem of productivity. I'm actually about to publish um, a series of blog posts about this. I like how the email and um, calendar and Tasks app are integrated. And so I use the calendar app and I use the, um, the Tasks app from Google for my daily tasks, for my, sorry, for my personal tasks as well. And um, my family sometimes will see me, you know, you go to the grocery store or you go to a doctor's appointment and if you want to remember something, where do you write it down? And so I will, you know, take out my phone and then um, enter it into the tasks or the calendar app. And that helps keep me organized or helps me keep organized because I'm most of my time, most of the time I'm sitting in front of my computer. And so if I see it on the calendar, then I know it's there and I know it has to get done. If I have it written down on a little notebook that I keep in my purse, maybe I won't see it and I forget about yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's it's useful. There are other things that I do, like for example, um, we we have a, um, um, a number of family recipes that I decided to put into um, digital format. And so those recipes are now in Evernote. Um, so, you know, there are ways in which you can integrate technology into your daily life. And of course, I'm fascinated by all of these um, technologies that are um, that make your home smart. I can't really tell you that I have a lot of things that um, that would qualify as a smart home kind of thing. But um, I'm always, you know, looking for ways in which you can integrate those and just make your life easier. That's the whole point. Yeah, exactly. And you said that you tend to test a lot of technologies, a lot of pieces of software and so on. So I'm sure you use up the entire free trial period. And <laughs> I was wondering, has it ever happened that you bought a subscription and noticed after some time that it's no longer useful or that it's just too much? Yes. Um, and, you know, I, I wish I could say that I am very um, good at keeping tabs of the subscriptions that I buy and that I remember to cancel them on time and everything. But that's one other thing that I'm trying to be disciplined about. As soon as I sign up for a trial, especially if it's not uh, free, you know, where they start charging you after the free trial is up, um, as soon as I sign up for as, as, as I sign up for something, I will go to my calendar and I will enter a note 
20 or 25 days from the date to cancel the subscription. Because if not, I find myself paying monthly subscriptions that I no longer need. Because like you said, you will try something and then maybe it's not for you. I mean, it's it may be for other people, but it's not something that integrates very organically into what you do. Um, so that happens. And then I am always, for example, looking, I don't know if you ever do this, but if there is a tool I like, like for example, ice cream, um, screen recorder, which I really like for recording screencasts, um, occasionally I will go online and I will go and look alternatives to, if you, if you Google that, for example, alternatives to this tool, you will find other tools that do the same thing. And then I will try them out to see if it's better then, um, you know, the new tool is better or if it works um, better for me. And then I will try those things. And sometimes I will switch to the new tool. Sometimes I'm more convinced to stay with the old tool. But um, yes, and um, sometimes I will, as I'm sure a lot of us do, buy a subscription and then get very busy and never get to play with the tool and then regret it later. <laughs> yeah. Because I ended up paying for it and I didn't use it the way I envisioned that I would use it. Yeah, so you mentioned a lot of tools already. And some people are afraid of technology, or they feel overwhelmed, and they haven't even started. So where do you suggest we start? I'm talking generally about entrepreneurs and business owners, not only translators. So what is the best starting point for us? I think it all depends on your needs. And um, Determining what the need is and what tools can cover that need is the first thing. Um, I think for, like you said, for someone who is completely new to technology and wants to get started, um, maybe the basic three tools would be for to get organized would be a calendar app, a, an email app, and a tasks or a to-do um, list kind of app. Because that's... Um, a way in which you can, you know, get things going. But then it depends on what you do. It depends on the kinds of things that you need to do. If you're a translator, you need a CAD tool, or maybe you don't, right? Maybe you just need a word processor. But the oh, one well. thing is for sure. <laughs> I can't <laughs> right. imagine that, right? <laughs> well, you would be surprised. You would be surprised. There are a lot of people who are not very um, happy about the idea of using cat tools and they all they use is um, a word processor and um, you know it's it's um, surprising and it's hard to believe for me as well and I'm sure for every cat tool user but there are still translators out there who don't like cat tools or maybe they feel daunted by the idea of using a cat tool um, and then it if you're an interpreter, for example, there are tools that you need. You need to manage your glossaries. Um, it's much more efficient to have a glossary management and retrieval system, even if it's a spreadsheet, than it is to bring your notebooks full of notes and glossaries where it's hard to find the right term when you are in the booth. And so I think it all, it all starts with that need, um, that need of what is it? that would make my life easier and what tool would fulfill that need. Yeah, that makes sense. And people usually feel like they need to have 20 tools at their disposal because they heard someone using all of them. 
because they've gotten used to them, they've tested them, such as yourself, but that doesn't have to be the case. I, I see from my own experience that I have gradually moved on or replaced some of the tools I've used before and found better alternatives. So it all depends and it takes a bit of time. Yes, I agree. I agree. And sometimes, you know, it's for instance, for translators, sometimes we get locked in um, into a CAD tool, for example, because of the clients that we have, not necessarily because we love the CAD tool. So when it comes to our own projects or when we have the ability to pick, go and pick the one that you feel comfortable with. Don't feel like you have to stay with the one that you have used all the time, especially because tools are evolving all the time. And so I know for for cat tools, for example, some people used to be very passionate about either using Trado Studio or MemoQ, and it was almost like a, two teams and people would um, fight about the benefits uh, and yeah. the advantages of one tool over the other. But I don't think that needs to be the case. Um, if it's something that you enjoy using, then that's good. But if it's something that you are using simply because you have needed that tool for a reason, and there are other alternatives that are easier to use, that are better for you, then it's perfectly fine to transition out of a tool um, and go and do something different. And it's difficult. It's difficult when you've, you are so used to using something that you can't even think about learning a new way of working or a new way of doing things. But then sometimes you find that it's easier, it's less stressful, whatever your goal may be. Yeah. And we're creatures of habit, as you said. So when it comes to this excitement you feel about new technologies and updates and so on, how do you stay excited about new things when you are used to the tools you've been using for a while. I hope this makes sense. <laughs> it does. It does. I think you have to carve out the time to go and play with the tools. For me, it's like playing. And then sometimes you play with something and you discover that it doesn't bring anything new. It doesn't contribute anything to your you know, your work day or something. And then sometimes you realize that, yes, it does. and um, it's difficult when you are so busy that you have no time to do anything else other than do your work and, you know, take care of your um, things in your personal life. So you really have to carve out the time. I'll give you an example. For a long time, I would read, um, I was part of a, a forum uh, of cat tool users, and I would read about people using regular expressions. And someone would ask a question on the forum and then someone would reply with, oh, the solution to this problem is using a regex. And I would read their answer and I wouldn't understand what they were saying because I was not familiar with regular expressions. And then one day I made a decision. I said, I'm going to learn this. And so in order to learn that, I had to make the time. So I figured, okay, how long can I invest in this? And I, I decided that it, I would invest one hour a day for one month to learn regular expressions. And I did. And so what I did is I actually got up one hour earlier for that one month, like if you were going to school, right? But it was all self-taught. So I would get up one hour earlier before I even started checking my email or anything. I would 
go and read about regular expressions and learn about them and just all online because there's a lot of information online that you can learn from. And I would go back and read the posts on the forum and try to make sense of what they were saying. And I ended up learning about regular expressions and they changed. I'm a technical translator. I translate technical materials. So regular expressions are super useful for technical translation. And I was so fascinated by it and by what regexes can do for you that I started teaching about it and writing about it. And whenever you teach about something, you have to keep current and you have to, you know, stay current and stay on top of uh, what's new and keep learning. And that also helps. But what I'm trying to say with that, and I did the same thing about for, to learn auto hotkey, to learn how to automate tasks. When I made a decision to learn how to do it, I took the time methodically to learn how to do it. And it didn't take long, but it's, um, it's like, it's probably a little bit more difficult than going to school because when you go to school, you have a set time that you have to be there and everything. And here you have to make a decision to take the time to do that at a specific time. And if it's difficult to do on your own, it's always, you know, this idea of co-working these days and accountability, that can help. You can say, hey, let's get together for one hour every day where we either study the same thing and learn the same thing, or we just simply sit there while each of us studies something different, right? But, um, and and I, I try to follow uh, people who write about new developments and things that are exciting. And I will sometimes read something and say, yeah, but maybe that's not for me. And then I read something that sounds really interesting. And I will go and, and learn more and read more about it and try it out. Yeah, so you have learned a lot over the years and you are self-taught and you've probably attended many courses from other people. How does it feel like to be a mentor in that sense, to be the person delivering the news to to other people in your industry? Well, I can tell you that I am a teacher at heart and I love to teach. And so it's very fulfilling for me when um, I have, you know, shared something and then people come back and say, hey, I tried the that thing that you shared or um, I went to one of your webinars and I'm now trying um, what you taught me and it's made a difference in the way I work or I am trying to, to I'm now interested in learning more. It's very, very fulfilling. It, it feels great. It's its own reward, like they say. <laughs> so I, I, it's wonderful. And I really, for example, when I post some, something on, um, if I publish a blog post or I po uh, post on social media, when you do that, you really don't know who's going to read that. And not everybody gets back to you. And um, it's okay. You know, I, I realize that um, there may be people who are, reading the content and maybe not putting it into practice. And then there are other people who will put it into practice because they have the time, because it was the right time when that got to them. And it's always very nice to hear uh, from people who take a moment to write back and say, hey, I found this very useful. This was very helpful. You know, just like the way you you feel when you share something with someone and they come back to, say, to you and say, you helped me. It's it's wonderful because you didn't even know that they were reading it or seeing it or, you know, doing something with it. 
Exactly. And we, when we share free content, we tend to share it when we are excited about something and we want others to experience it and to use it and to test it. And people usually scroll through. The majority of people do that, myself included, depending on the topic. But when I implement something, I feel really proud and I want to share that experience with others. So why do you think it's hard for people to implement that? the free advice you give out? I would say maybe lack of time. You know, you're busy, you're doing other things and you just don't have the time because like you said, you have to go and implement that thing. Um, So yeah, I remember um, a speaker that I used to um, interpret for very frequently a few years ago and he would teach about improving sales and he would tell his students Um, Something that I think it's very true. The hardest thing in the world is to actually do those things that we know we are supposed to do that could make our life easier. So we know there are things that we could be doing to be more productive, to be more efficient, but then we just can't find the time to make it happen. And um, sometimes we don't believe that it's for us. Right. Like, yeah, it probably works for other people. And I think with uh, with technology, that's particularly true because a lot of people come up to me and say, oh, but I don't I'm not good with technology. And I think we have to get rid of that. um, I'm not good with technology mindset because maybe that's not um, letting you see all the things, all the potential that's out there right? That could really make your life easier. And I understand if you don't like technology, that's perfectly fine. But um, in our line of work, it can help with so many things that we should at least give it a try. Yeah. And you talked about your 30-day spree uh, and you got up one hour earlier and decided to carve out time. So I think what you're talking about is people's perception of lack of time. From my own experience, I'm, I feel like I'm more productive now that I have an almost two-year-old child than I used to be two years ago because I am deliberate about my time and I take advantage of it. I appreciate it more. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, it's um, for in, in an ideal world, or maybe that's not the ideal world, but talking about work, if you had all the time um, in your day to sit down and do things and do whatever you want to do, would you still do them? I mean, I wonder if that's true. And I think what you've said is just um, it is goes in the in that same direction. Sometimes we do have the time, but we choose to use the time in other things. And then when we find that our time is limited or that we have to divide our time. Um, in many different pieces, then we try to be more organized. And I'm sure everybody feels the same way I do. Sometimes you feel so disorganized, like you didn't accomplish anything in a day or you had a long list of to-dos and you didn't get through all of them. But that's perfectly okay. I think we have to be gentle with ourselves when it comes to that. And then maybe look at the progress. I love what you said. I see myself today and I compare to myself two years ago and I see the progress. And that's that's what we should aim for, I believe. And having children or having other responsibilities, you know, caregiving, for example, or simply daily life 
is um, something that we have to find a way of um, combining with our work, right? And there are different times for different things. And you and I were just talking before we started the interview about our children. And um, when my kids were little, my time management was very different from my time management now, because now my time is my own, right? My kids are grown. They're no longer at home. Um, but it is also true that the time is there and you just choose how to use it, whatever time you have. I mean, you do have less time when you are a mother with a young child. That is absolutely true. I don't think it's true what people say that everybody has the same 24 hours in a day. That's not true. Agreed. Right. That is, that is not true at <laughs> all. <laughs> and so, but whatever time you have, you Maybe when you are busy with other things, family responsibilities and things like that, there isn't a lot of time left to go play with technology, right? But then at some point, if you are, if you decide that it's something that you want to do, um, then it's, uh, I mean, what I'm trying to say is if you want to take the time to do that, necessarily that time will have to come from somewhere else. And so it's either, working a little bit less or getting up a little bit earlier or staying up a little bit later, you know, things like that. But it's not like you have to do that forever. Like in the example I was giving you, it was for one month and then it was done. Right. And I'm, right. And I'm still learning those things, but the intense learning period was only one month. Yeah. So when it comes to time management, which tools do you believe would be useful when you were... <laughs> when you had many different responsibilities, childcare and so forth? Well, um, the main thing when, uh, when my kids were little, of course, the main thing was having a good support system. <laughs> it's impossible to do it all by yourself. Um, but in terms of time management, um, I like the idea of, um, you know, the Pomodoro technique yeah. where you set up specific periods of time. And when you have young children, the, and well, your daughter is still very young. She, I'm sure she doesn't go to school yet, right? No. She's only, almost two. But when my kids started going to school, that was the thing, right? When they are in school, that's when you have to be the most productive. <laughs> that's when you have to do as much as you can. And then you understand that when they come home, then it's, if you work from home, then it's going to be more difficult for you to focus for an entire hour at a time. And in a way, um, breaking up your, your productive time periods into smaller pieces is um, better, I think, even for you to feel like you've accomplished something. So 20-minute um, stretches of time might be possible with a young child, might not be possible. It depends, right? It depends on what you on what you have to do. But even if you say, well, I'm going to work for 15 minutes and then I'll go and do something with my child for 10 minutes and then I'll come back for another 15 minutes. Um, it helps to have your time broken down, I found, into smaller chunks of time. And that means um, trying to stay 
away from distractions, right? Because 15 minutes, if you sit at your computer for 15 or 20 minutes and you open LinkedIn or Facebook or TikTok or something, 15 minutes can fly by and you didn't do anything. <laughs> so right. you have to be very disciplined about doing the things that you that you really need to do. And I don't know if you have seen this, this new, um, the, I mean, there are focus apps now, but even um, the Google Calendar now has a focus feature and Windows has a focus feature where you're supposed to, um, you know, it's supposed to keep you focused for that period of time. Yeah, so it's really absurd that we need apps that will help us keep our focus. So I don't know. I think it mostly depends on our personality, maybe, and our organizational skills, because my daughter goes to kindergarten, but what breaks up my schedule is when she gets sick. So I need to rearrange my entire schedule. And I don't think I would be able to work in 15 minute increments. So I think it all depends because if a certain type of task requires deep focus, then 15 minutes isn't going to help me. But if we are talking about doing the dishes, that makes perfect sense. Right. No, and I agree with you. I mean, sometimes if you, for instance, if you have a, a translation project that let's say that you need to read some um, reference documents and just understand what the client wants, that will take 15 minutes and more. So it's it's very difficult and probably very uh, mentally exhausting to try to get into that focused state and then be pulled out of that. But that's the reality for for many mothers, I think, when you have a child at home who is demanding attention or, like you said, when they're sick or they need something or you need to be leaving the house and then coming back to the house. I've, I'm always amazed at how mothers can work full time and take care of their children. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and but I've been in many I'm, I'm all I also love the idea that our job allows us to do that. Because it's very special, you know, the fact that we can spend that time with our kids. And I have been in meetings with colleagues who said, who've said, you know what, I have to go now because I have to go pick up my child or I have to go pick up my grandchild from daycare or kindergarten or school or something. And then I'm going to, you know, eat with the family and then I'll be back in three hours. <laughs> and so that's, that's really nice that we can um, have that flexibility to do that. Right. Yeah. So you have a lot of people whom you are mentoring and from various walks of life. So do you think webinars are then the way to go because we all have different schedules or do you prefer in-person meetings and seminars? That's a really, really good question. I think um, I love what I love about the in-person meetings and conferences and things like that is that personal connection um, outside of the time allotted for for learning, right? So the networking, the sitting down with a colleague to have a coffee and talk about things other than work, that's really valuable and, and really nice. And that's what I love about going to conferences, for example, making friends, basically, especially yeah. because our profession is so isolating, right? Where you're you're sitting by yourself unless you work at a company with, with other people. And um, however, for reach, in terms of reach, webinars have been a game changer, I think. Um, people who 
have said there is no way I could have traveled to this event or this is um, helpful because it's pre-recorded. And some people do have the discipline to sit down and watch recordings. Um, I mean, some others say I bought the recordings and I never watched them (laughs) or I have the link and I never watched the recording, but others do take the time to do it. And you know how I know that? Because people reach out to me and say, hey, I was just watching this webinar that you gave six months ago and I was using this and I have this question. And so I'm always like, wow, I mean, people really, really take the time to work on their professional development whenever it's convenient for them. And that wouldn't be possible if everything um, was done in person, right? Yeah. So there are, there are pros and cons to each. Um, I mean, I, yeah. And, and this year, for example, I'm going to be participating in several, um, in a lot of online things, but also in several in-person things. And I'm really excited about that. And for our, our summits, um, you know, I'm, I'm a co-organizer of the um, Innovation in Interpreting Summit and the Innovation in Translation Summit. And this year, we, or last year, we did the AI in Translation Summit. And that's one thing that we try to replicate in a way, that interaction and that having fun with colleagues and exchanging ideas that you get from an in-person event. Yeah. So what does it take to organize such an event? How did, how did that come about for you? Well, um, I am incredibly grateful to my wonderful colleagues who um, invited me to be part of this adventure, um, Josh Goldsmith and Yo Setcha. They contacted me a few years back and said, hey, would you like to, we didn't even know each other <laughs> back then. And they said, hey, would you like to come meet with us and talk about a project? And so I did, and they invited me to organize the um, the first Innovation in Translation Summit, and I knew uh, of both of them, and I admire them, and I still do very, very deeply, and I said, yes, of course, and so that was the beginning of, of this great journey that I have enjoyed tremendously, and how is organizing one of these things? Well, I can tell you, um, Josh, Josh Goldsmith is the leader of all this, and he has an amazing mind. Uh, He has everything under control and he has a very clear idea of what the next step is every single time for whatever it is that we're doing. And so um, I find that um, it is, I mean, it's a lot of work as you can imagine, but it's very rewarding, very fulfilling because you talk to the speakers, you think about topics, we brainstorm about what we're going to do. We come up with these ideas about how uh, we want people to interact, how we would like the experience to be, uh, you know, rewarding and fulfilling and um, for, for attendees. And then we work very hard to make it happen. And then people come to the summit and um, will write to us and say, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I met people. We are now collaborating. We're working together. And so that's really, really rewarding. All the the hard work. I mean, it takes months to put together a summit, as you can imagine. Uh, All the hard work, really, it really feels like it was all worth it when you read about these things. And just... um, Last week, we had one of the speakers from a past summit um, reach out to us and say, hey, I was just contacted by someone about a project. And when we talked, he said, hey, I recognize you from the summit. You spoke about this. And so, you know, that impact 
that the summits have had, um, that has been the greatest reward. Yeah, I love that. Especially, as you said, this is a very isolating profession. So it's great to meet other colleagues. And I rarely feel like there's competition. People are usually really happy to meet each other and to find a way to collaborate. So that's really great. That's true. And that's true. That's a really great observation because it's true. I mean, people love sharing ideas. Like we do these networking sessions and what we call the spotlight sessions and the quality of the discussion and just the generosity of the people who are there. And we have an online community and people go and share and say, oh, this is what I'm doing and this is what's working for me. I love that. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it, doesn't, it never feels like a competition. It's almost like a collaboration. Yeah, and I love this combination between paid and free content. We touched on free content earlier, but I would like to see what you think about free versus paid content. I believe both of them are necessary, but how do you balance those? Do you have a strategy or you just decide to share something because you've learned something for free? Well, um, I think the in my case, the content that I share for free is, um, it depends on the platform. I will share things on my blog. I'll share things on social media and things like that. And then um, occasionally I will do free webinars, you know, free presentations, especially at conferences, of course. And then um, it, it, I don't, and I don't know if this is where you're, the, um, if, the, if this will answer your question, but I never say, oh, no, no, this I'm not going to share for free because it's too valuable and I'm just going to keep it, you know, secret until someone pays for it. Never, never. I, I just feel like it's more organic. Um, and if I find something that is useful and like you said, that you're excited to share, then I'll just go out and share it. And then sometimes those ideas develop into bigger you know, courses or webinars or something that um, are not free for us to put on. You know, for example, if you offer something through a platform um, that you have to pay for, then you have to recover those, those costs. And people understand that. And so that's when you have the paid content. But even, for example, for the summits, you can see the content is free. Um, the only difference is it's for a limited time, right? So if you watch the content within that time window, that time frame, then it's free. And if you want to have access to it later, because it costs money to host it on a platform and all of that, then you, you would have to pay for it. But um, no, I never, I never say, oh, this is going to be free and this is going to be paid. Never. If it's something fun and exciting and useful and I have the time and the right uh, place to share it, I'll share um, content, just valuable content. I think this is exactly the reason why you got invited to this summit project. So you shared free content, you made yourself visible for a number of years, and you were contacted by other organizers because you shared free content and you demonstrated your expertise. So people usually fall into the trap of, oh no, I will hide this behind a paywall which doesn't always make mm. sense. Oh, absolutely. And I can tell you now as an organizer, because I'm also, in addition to 
organizing the summits and um, workshops and other things. I'm the chair of the um, American Translator Association's Professional Development Committee. So we're always looking for speakers. And how are you going to find speakers? You know, because what you do is you go and, and look at their content and what they're offering. But I, I don't have the budget uh, to go and pay to just to see if the speaker is good, if the content is good. So there has to be a way to access that content for free. But um, I understand that for, for some speakers, it's a different strategy. You know, some people enjoy just sharing. They love teaching and they love sharing. And so those people are easier to find. That's uh, what you said is absolutely true. They are easier to find just because their content is out there. So for, uh, for conference organizers and course organizers, I think um, social media is not the only place where we go and look for speakers, but it's the first place many times. Yeah. And where else do you look? Do you look for referrals sometimes and you stumble upon a great speaker who doesn't have much social media presence? Has that ever happened? Um, it does happen. We, for example, it um, the webinars that we organize at ATA for the Professional Development Committee, we always ask in the the final survey, um, do you have a speaker to recommend? And sometimes people will give us recommendations. Um, the thing here is that we have to be very selective because we only have a specific number of slots for the year. And the same thing happens, for example, for the summit, we only have a specific number of slots. So we have to be able to, even if someone gives you a recommendation, you have to be able to see the work of the speaker. And that is because, you know, some people may be great writers, but maybe speaking is not um, the thing that they excel at. And we... For me, I love the idea, uh, a, a word that I love when it comes to organizing and, and even putting together my own uh, presentations and everything is actionable. Things that are not too theoretical, right, but that can be put into practice right away. And so a speaker who has that um, drive to be actionable in their content is the kind of speaker that I personally find very appealing. And that's the kind of speaker that I look for. So I think in a way, and, and it's okay if they don't have a social media presence, but if we, when we reach out to them and say, hey, would you be interested in, in presenting? If they can provide a recording of something they have done, then that um, kind of seals the deal in that, okay, this is the kind of speaker that we want. And we all have worked, I think, Everybody who presents, um, we have worked on developing our skills and, you know, just working on, on the content and how to present it. But I think we also need to work, and this goes also for translators and interpreters in general. We also have to work on putting ourselves out there. That's really, really important. Um, sometimes people may be looking for what you have to offer, but how are they going to find you unless you put yourself out there? And in this day and age, an easy way for you to be out there is social media. And, you know, just um, there are platforms that are appropriate for that, like, for example, LinkedIn, but even other, other platforms. You know, I see a lot of colleagues going out to Instagram and other platforms and sharing their content. And that can be great 
to make yourself known and to make yourself visible, right? To get to, to the people that you need to get to. That sounds really simple when you put it that way, but people are often scared of putting themselves out there. I know that's what we should all do. And it took me a while to put myself out there and start recording the podcast in general and then start recording in English. But I just decided, it seems like I decided in one day, but it was actually a gradual process. So what would you suggest? What are the top things people should have in mind when it comes to becoming visible? Mm, I think being authentic is the main thing, right? Being relatable. I know it, with social media these days, there is this um, urge almost, or, or this fear of not looking perfect. But that's that's not necessarily what we want or need, especially in our profession, right? Where we are helping each other. I think it's also very useful for people to see that other people are going through the same things that you're going through, that are they are feeling the same things that you are feeling. They have the same fears and the same concerns and how they overcame that. So you don't have to be perfect in the image that you put out, but I think you have to be authentic. What is it that, um, you know, that you like to talk about? What is it that you like to share? And don't worry about, I mean, people have come to me and they have said, oh, but I don't have anything valuable to say. Oh, I'm sure you have something valuable to say. Because even if you feel like I don't have a lot of experience, I don't really have a lot that people could learn from, you have whatever experience you have, you know, it, be it um, uh, something that failed, a problem that you had with a project or a success story, you know, how you were able to solve something. There's always people who have less experience than you and that can benefit from that. And even if you say, well, but I'm really young and I really don't have all that experience, there are people who need that fresh perspective that you bring to a situation, right? So just being authentic and sharing can be very, very valuable. And creating that community, um, I'm, I'm by no means an expert on social media, far from it. But I heard someone say once, it's a good idea to interact with other people's content. And what that means is just like what people share and leave a comment. And I can tell you, for example, that there are students who I know, I know they are students and they're about to graduate and I know their names for the very simple reason that they will always leave comments in my content. And so you start seeing even that is putting yourself out there, even if they're not posting anything regularly, but they are interacting with the content that other people are, are um, you know, putting out. And they will say things like, oh, I'm, this is something that I really want to do when I graduate. And, and you see their progress and you see their journey. And so that makes them visible. And um, I think that's, it's really easy or it's really tempting to simply hide and scroll and, and look at the content without doing anything. But, you know, pick up your mouse and click on that like, leave a comment, even if, if it's something very simple, that will make you visible. And then if you want to post, you know, to add your own posts to, um, you know, wherever, whatever social media platform, do that. And don't don't be afraid of what people will say. You know, it's just be yourself, be authentic. And the one thing I would, of course, advise against is complaining. 
or criticizing clients <laughs> publicly <laughs> online or colleagues. I mean, that's that's not nice. <laughs> so that's that's one thing that, um, in general, um, is not. I mean, not something that we should be doing. But just you know, share your concerns and your excitement. Uh, I love it when people share uh, posts like, "Oh, I was just at this webinar and I le- learned this and this, and I was at this conference and I saw this person." And I'll stop and read those posts. You know, from everyone. I love that. Yeah, same. And I love that you mentioned this imposter syndrome and the small steps we can implement. So it doesn't have to be that scary. We can start small and then build from there. So you are very visible, thankfully, online. Uh, So where can my listeners find you? What are the main points of contact? Well, um, I am mostly active on LinkedIn these days. So you can find me as Nora Diaz um, online on LinkedIn. I am also, um, I'm not as active on X um, these days anymore. I mean, I'll, I'll still go and, and read where people what people are sharing, but I'm not posting as much. Um, and I promised myself that I would become more active on Instagram this year. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> 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 but uh, but I will and uh, and I also have um, I also share things on Facebook so you can find me on those four platforms for now um, but mostly where I'm sharing most most of my content is on LinkedIn. Okay, great. I will put all of the links in the show notes. And thank you so much, Nora, for this conversation. I know we focused on technology at the beginning, but I'm really glad you covered a lot of the topics that can that can serve a lot of people, I believe. So thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation, Anya. This has been very enjoyable. And I want to congratulate you for your podcast and for sharing how that you took that um, step to make that decision to evolve in your podcast. And thank you for what you contribute to the profession. And let's hope that we continue to find ways, um, exciting things to share and ways to share them with exactly. others. Thank you again. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.